this week is about bipedal cryptids, including Bigfoot. You're looking at Yeti, Sasquatch, Grassman, Dogman, and Skinwalkers. Even werewolves. I'll throw that in for good measure. And that will be what this week's episode of Paranormally Speaking will be all about. I'm your host, Neil Parks. Glad to join you again, however have you joined me. Uh, the uh, shows continue to grow. The audience continues to grow. I've picked up some new sponsors, and I have you to thank for that. Continue sending me messages of encouragement or for new ideas, to, things to discuss, things to talk about. Or if you want to share something of your own with me, I would be happy to share that with the audience. So buckle up and get ready for a fun-filled episode of Paranormally Speaking. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. There have been other cases where unknown creatures attack vehicles, though those attacks have typically occurred at night and or while the occupants were away. Strangely, Bigfoot are never credibly accused of attacking people. Just about every other animal in the world has been known to attack humans at some point, including cats, dogs, deer, moose, bear, boar, elk, cougar, birds, fish, and so on. Not so for Bigfoot, a fact that raises suspicion among many, many skeptics. And then, when you take into consideration the lack of evidence that we have yet to see, or that has been compiled, unfortunately, none of which has been brought to light, of actual encounter, well, I guess violent encounters with Bigfoot creatures, uh, there have been stories for decades of like a legion of Bigfoot creatures throwing boulders and rocks and whatnot at hunting cabins, which I can kind of understand, especially if the um, Bigfoot creatures uh, dwelling is, is being disrupted or disturbed, uh, vandalized or litter being left behind. I mean, perhaps the strangest part about that is uh, it's well known that wild animals attack vehicles such as RVs and so forth. And Bigfoot has been claimed to vandalize not only dwellings, but also trees. And there's stories, countless stories, of uh, Bigfoot creatures taking giant tree branches and snapping them just like you would a, a thin pretzel. I mean, it's nothing to them. In October of 2011, Bigfoot researcher and biologist John Bendergbale visited western Siberia to examine evidence of the Yeti, the Russian version of Bigfoot. He claimed to have found evidence that the creature broke trees and branches. Twisted trees like this uh, have also been observed in North, Cara uh, North America, and they could fit into with the theory that Bigfoot makes nests with said branches. And there have been nests discovered in eastern Ohio um, from the Grassman, which is technically the Midwest's version of Bigfoot. Uh, he also said this to the interview... Uh, that he had with uh, The Sun, a British tabloid. And another mysterious incident that some attribute to Bigfoot or another unknown creature. In 2008, a South Carolina couple claimed that something vandalized their vehicle, leaving mysterious bite marks and ripping out part of the fender of their 2002 Dodge Grand Caravan. A famous 1924 Bigfoot attack 
the most famous case of a Bigfoot attack allegedly occurred at a place called Ape Canyon near Mount St. Helens, Washington. In 1924, a group of five miners worked at the site were besieged by a group of ape men. One of the miners, a man named Fred Beck, claimed that they sighted a group of Bigfoot high above them on the edge of the canyon. The miners then spent a terrified night holed up in their cabin, during which the Bigfoot bombarded the cabin with rocks, and they claimed even tried to break down the door. The miners couldn't get a good look at the Bigfoot creature at that point, partly because it was dark and because they could not see outside through the small cracks in the door and walls. The incident was cited for years in Bigfoot lore as a classic Bigfoot attack, and the details were exaggerated with some retelling each time. For example, a few dozen fist-sized rocks that rained down on the roof and walls became giant boulders. In some versions of the story, later research found that the famous Ape Canyon Bigfoot attack was not a hoax, but nor was it real. It was instead a combination of a prank and misperceptions. It seems that the Bigfoot were local YMCA youth from nearby Spirit Lake who had a long tradition of throwing stones, including pumice rocks, which can be deceptively light for their size, down into the canyon from above. The kids would not have known the miners were in the canyon, nor even that they were necessarily hitting a cabin in the darkness far below. When the miners looked up, they would have seen silhouettes of figures far above them. It must surely have been a terrifying experience for the miners, and it's easy to see how the Bigfoot story could have been spawned all these years from that one encounter. Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, parallel universes, angels and demons, time travel, cryptozoology, and so much more within the realm of the unexplained, the strange, and the out of this world. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, screenwriter, researcher, and paranormal professional. Join me every week as I tackle hot-button topics within the paranormal realm. I'll share personal accounts, my research, and second-hand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. We assume Bigfoot crossed the road to get to the other side, as the old joke goes, but when the enigmatic hominid, nobody knows for sure. Here's what we do know. On June 22, 2009, at around 6.30 p.m., a 19-year-old college student was driving on a curvy road near Rhinebeck, New York. Now, this was a back road. On the way to a rehearsal at a nearby performing arts center, according to the BFRO report, as he swerved to miss an object on the road, a shopping bag containing, oddly, an open cereal box and a small log. He glanced in his rearview mirror and saw someone or something darting behind his car, apparently to retrieve the bag. A moment later, the student stopped and turned his car around and got a three to four second glimpse of something walking on two feet about 50 feet away he described the creature which he saw from the rear and side profile as being between seven to seven and a half feet. Covered with black hair and possessing broad muscular shoulders, 
with arms that swung in an exaggerated fashion and palms that faced upwards. The witness recalled that he felt nervous, confused, and excited at the same time during his brief encounter. At about 1.30 on the morning of January 8th, in 2008, a big rig driver was hauling a load of Idaho potatoes on US I-15 near the town of Skiripio, just outside of St. George, Utah. As he downshifted and headed down an incline, the fog grew increasingly heavy. The driver noticed something by the side of the road with glowing eyes and thought it might be a deer. When he switched on his high beams, he was startled to see a gigantic creature running across the road from left to right on long strides, just 20 feet or so away. According to an interview with the BFRO investigator, he later estimated based on a comparison of his truck and factoring on the distance that the creature was at least 10 feet tall and between six to 800 pounds. It had black hair and big eyebrows and long lanky arms that were proportionally longer than a human's. For a moment, it turned its head and stared at the rapidly approaching truck. The driver swerved hard to the middle of the freeway to avoid hitting the creature, which nearly caused the truck to crash. Fortunately, he regained control of the vehicle, but he managed to roll to a stop two to 300 yards away and looked back. The mysterious figure was gone. The driver, an avid outdoorsman and hunter, told the BFRO investigator that he'd always been skeptical about the existence of Bigfoot, but after actually seeing one in the flesh, he changed his mind. His opinion was forever changed. It scared the hell out of me, he admitted. Another such instance, it was about quarter past six on the morning of September 1st, 2009. A woman commuting to a job in Riffle, Colorado, was feeling a little groggy on her way to work despite her usual cup of takeout coffee. Just before she started up through Independence Pass, she decided to pull her truck over to the side of the road and get a little fresh air. As she got out of the truck, she noticed some movement in the meadow directly ahead of her. At first, she thought it might be a bear, but when the creature stood up, she saw that it had arms that hung to its side just like a person. The creature was huge and had a cinnamon-colored style fur. She told Bifro, BFRO, the investigator. And after some coaxing on the part of the investigator, she also revealed that it had an additional anatomical feature, a pair of large breasts. Prior to the encounter, she witnessed the uh, admitted that she had always poo-pooed the possibility of such creatures existing, but said, my life is forever changed. At around dusk on August 29th, 2011, a woman was outside her house with a litter of whippet puppies who were going potty when she heard a whistling sound, the sort that she makes when she's trying to get the attention of her dogs. Thinking that it might be another one of her pets, a parrot perhaps, she did a few back and forth whistles with the source. Then one of her adult dogs, an Australian shepherd, woofed and barked wildly, and she heard a loud rustle in the nearby forest. She looked up to see a tall, hairy creature. 
It was an estimated eight to nine feet tall. And when it saw her, it let go of the tree branch it was holding down with, and it stepped back into the trees and disappeared. The investigator with BFRO who interviewed the witness noticed that she was a former deer hunter and experienced in the outdoors, and thus unlikely to have mistaken the creature for another large animal, I'm sure that Bigfoot's curiosity would be heightened by a new woman living in the previously unoccupied house and a litter full of whippet puppies, he concluded. On October 23, 2010, at about 7.15 a.m., a deer hunter parked his all-terrain vehicle on a trail and quietly slipped into the still-darkened woods. He hoped to make it to his favorite clearing without spooking any deer in the area. As he was walking, he noticed a very large animal walking about 10 yards ahead of the trail. Oddly, while it didn't appear to be running, the animal seemed to cover about 15 to 20 feet. In just two strides, it made no noticeable noise. The hunter clicked on his flashlight. What I saw made my hair stand on end, he wrote in his report on the BFRO website. The creature was between seven and seven and a half feet tall, and he estimated that it weighed around 500 pounds. It was muscular and covered with dark fur, with long arms and slightly hunched posture. I have seen a few bears, and I know positively that it was not a bear, he explained in his report. The creature quickly moved down a hillside and was gone after a few seconds. It all happened so quickly that he never even thought of using the digital camera he had with him. I used to think that Sasquatch couldn't exist because we would have seen it already, and if I saw it, there'd be tons of pictures, he admitted. But now I can see why that isn't true. You're usually startled by that point upon noticing it, and it's too late. In the swamps of Florida, Bigfoot is known by a different name, the skunk ape, an apparent reference to the appalling smell that the creature supposedly exudes, according to the BBC. The stinky creature may have been spotted on May morning of 2011. According to the report on the BFRO website, a fishing guide was using a pole to propel a flatboat in a mangrove swamp when he and his two clients, a commercial pilot and an attorney, spotted something on the shore about 100 yards away. At first, the guide thought the creature might be a feral hog or possibly a bear. But as the boat got closer, the creature, which apparently had been rooting through the sand or fish for fish or crustaceans to eat, turned and stood up to look directly at them. The guide estimated the apparent skunk ape was as wide as a side-by-side refrigerator freezer with a muscular torso, a ZZ top-looking beard, and a hairless forehead. The creature stared at them for about 15 seconds and then made a guttural moan and a sort of a snort and walked away into the mangroves. And this next one, based on uh, the stories that have been shared with me from my listeners and people who follow my channel. On July 2009, a worker was returning home from a deck building job at about 6 p.m. As he drove through a wooded area near houses and a school, he noticed what first appeared to be a man standing on the side of the road. As the car got closer, however, the man suddenly bolted into the woods like a wild animal spooked by human presence. 
The driver slowed down and watched the creature run about 30 yards and then make a turn, which enabled the driver to get a better look at him. Unlike other reports that depict Bigfoot as gigantic, the driver reported that the creature was about 6 feet high, maybe 200 pounds. He said the creature was covered in shaggy, rust-colored fur and ran with a strange, hoppy, bounding motion. It was either real or there was a man in a very, very convincing costume, the witness reported to the BFRO website. Another one. On October 25, 2010, a man was watching a movie at about 1 a.m. when he heard a noise outside his house. This sounded like a long blast from a car horn or a police siren. He hit the mute on his TV and realized that the sound was more like a howl or an injured animal. He assumed that it was a bear or a mountain lion. The next evening, a friend came to pick him up to drive to a casino at about 8 p.m. The two men had driven about four miles when they both heard the noise once again. They slowed down and the noise stopped. They resumed driving and then suddenly had to swerve to avoid a car ahead of them and had abruptly stopped. It was then that the two gamblers spotted what appeared to be a man-like creature at least 10 feet tall, covered in dark brown and black fur, with eyes that glowed from the reflection of their headlights. Human eyes don't do that, the witness explained in his report. After 20 to 30 seconds, the creature walked off with a fluid gait and definitely was not human, and the two men quickly drove off in fear. They came home that evening by a different route to avoid another encounter, and the witnesses are now true believers. They describe themselves as being. They believe in Bigfoot, but added, if it's Bigfoot or not, I don't want that coming around my house, nor do I want to encounter it again. This one from September 8, 2007 happened between 8.30 and 9 p.m. A local law enforcement officer was driving to answer an alarm call on a ranch when he noticed someone or something coming up out of the ravine onto the side of the road. I thought to myself that I might have surprised someone who might have been growing marijuana in the woods or something like that, the officer reported to the BFRO website. But when he hit the brakes and quickly backed up, the headlights illuminated what he described as a creature about seven to eight feet tall, covered with thick brown matted fur, and walked upright. It had leaves and grass matted into its fur on the back, and it had been lying down at one point and was moving very slowly. The creature turned away from the officer and returned to the overgrowth, pushing aside small tree limbs and to clear its path. It was visible for only a few seconds, but he could hear the crunching noise and its movements for a bit longer. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, the officer wrote. It was definitely something... I was not going to put out on the radio. And last but not least, this was submitted to me this week, as a matter of fact. You would think that a feral ape-like creature would tread lightly around humans who are equipped to respond to a, a sighting with a hail of bullets. Surprisingly, though, Bigfoot seems oblivious to our puny human weaponry as a Blackstone VA man, Virginia, and his son discovered in the early morning hours of May 3rd, 2011, when the two heard a loud noise outside their home. The man grabbed his pistol and the son picked up his shotgun, and they were outside to investigate, figuring that they would encounter either a burglar or a bear. Instead, 
the man reported on the BFRO website, they, conf- they were confronted by an eight-foot-tall, hair-covered humanoid creature running toward them from the nearby woods. The man screamed at the creature to stop and told his son to shoot, which he did, into the air. The creature shrieked but continued running toward them, getting to within 15 feet before the pair retreated back to their house. I was in terror, the man wrote. He recalled that evening that the pervasive odor that really stunk from the Bigfoot and left footprints that were 8 to 20 inches. An investigator who visited the man's farm and interviewed him documented a series of other unusual incidences, including loud wails and slaps in the side of the house at night, suggesting that Bigfoot had paid him repeat visits. Could it be a warning? Could it be him hunting man instead of man hunting for Bigfoot? The world may never know, and hopefully that encounter does not turn south. Please hold for an important message from our sponsor. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Werewolves, werewolves, werewolves. Where are they? Where do they come from? What do they want? This is so much more than just Hollywood fandom folklore horror and what fun nonsense it is, actually. 11 historical werewolves that terrorized villages around the world. You might think of werewolf stories as something only told for fun around campfires, but that hasn't always been the case. Historically, many slayings, crimes, and generally horrific instances have been attributed to werewolves. People truly believed in the existence of these creatures. In fact, in the 16th and 17th centuries in Europe, werewolf trials accompanied witch trials, and sometimes they were even one and the same. It's even more surprising to note the number of people who confess to being werewolves or lycanthropes. Some were likely tortured into confession, but others believed themselves to be real werewolves. The idea that someone could transform into an animal was a popular one, and people thought they could make a deal with the devil in order to obtain that power. Is there any truth behind enduring the legend of the werewolf? Or were these creatures just convenient scapegoats for mysterious misdeeds? Whatever you think, there's no denying that these historical encounters with werewolves are fascinating and downright spooky. Now, for example, the werewolf of Chalons cooked his victims for dinner in the 1500s. In the 1500s, a French tailor was convicted of luring in, torturing, and slaying his victims before cooking and eating them for supper. 
Another good example is Peter Stube. He claimed to be a serial killer who was actually a werewolf. This was in 1589. Peter Stube was one of many self-confessed werewolves. In 1589, he claimed that his wolfskin belt allowed him to transform. And he also said he had slain over a dozen victims. In 1685, the mayor became the Wolf of Ansbach. The people of Ansbach were angry and scared at their, that their livestock was attacked by a wolf-type creature. Hans, the werewolf, said he was bitten by a man in black. This was in Estonia in the 17th century. Giles Garnier, the werewolf of Dole. Jacques Roulat, the werewolf of Angers, mutilated a boy in 1598. Two werewolf friends hunted together in 1521. With a long trail of gore behind them, Pierre Burgot and Michael Verdun confessed to being werewolves in 1521. Their deeds were gruesome, as records indicate. They killed a woman who was gathering peas, also seized a little girl of four years old, and ate the palpitation flesh. All saved one arm. The Georgia werewolf, Emily Isabella Burt, terrorized neighbors in the 19th century. This is an American werewolf legend that comes from Georgia. As the story goes, the widowed Mildred Burt lived in a rural part of the country in the mid-19th century. One of her daughters, Emily Isabella Burt, had trouble sleeping at night, and she had extra hair and sharp teeth. Then there was the werewolf of Polotsk. He lived on as a sorcerer and a werewolf. He was a very real, real ruler of Polotsk in what is now known as Belarus, known as Zevlaz, the sorcerer for his rumored magical powers. He was also believed to take the form of a wolf. Then there was the beast of Gudavan, who stalked through the 18th century France. The tale of the beast of Gouvandon is one surrounded by mystery and a whole lot of bloodshed. Cannibalism made you a werewolf in ancient Greece. Beliefs differ on what exactly turned someone into a werewolf. In ancient Greece, apparently people believed that someone could be transformed by eating the meat of a wolf and a human mixed together. The story is similar to the tale of King Laekouan. He attempted to trick the god Zeus into eating human flesh. Zeus wasn't pleased with this and turned Laekouan into a wolf as punishment. His name is likely the root of the word lycanthropy. And of course, these are some of the tales and legends that surround us in the world we live in, pertaining to the dogmen, werewolves, skinwalkers, other type of bipedal wolf or dog-like creatures. And there's so many more tales that are not just of the ancient world, but of the world we currently live in, like the werewolf of London, Ohio. And that encounter took place in the 1980s. I wrote about this in my book, Haunted Enough. Be sure to check that out if you want to read that tale. It's something that I would assume you'd find quite chilling. Uh, I've been told that it's probably the book itself is one of the scariest books I've ever written. I hope you enjoy it. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. 
The Awakening. It was Labor Day weekend, and according to the weatherman, it was going to be one of the warmest on record. Thomas and some friends were camping in Okani State Park in South Carolina. They were seniors in high school and went with Thomas's uncle. He was an ROTC instructor who was also a substitute teacher at their high school. This was a guy in his 50s, cool to talk to, and still built like an ox. He was a sergeant while in the army and was the true definition of a badass. On their first night camping, it was warm and windy. They went off the grid and followed an uncharted path to an isolated area deep in the wilderness. This was a favorite spot of the sergeants, and he wanted to introduce the rest of the campers to his area. There were some natural paths, a blue hole nearby, uncharted caves, and more wilderness than any of the boys had ever seen in one trip. After they explored the blue hole and splashed in the deepest and cleanest lake they had ever seen, they were ready for dinner and for some unwinding. The group spent a while goofing off around the fire, trying to scare one another, making stupid animal noises. Mike, one of Thomas's friends who came along on the camping trip, suggested that they tell some ghost stories before bed. I'll start the first story, and if it's too much for everyone, then we can stop. <laughs> a few of the others groaned and rolled their eyes. They scoffed at his suggestion, calling it something little kids do around a campfire. Sarge, as he was known by the boys, surprised everyone when he spoke up and said, Okay, gang, quiet. Quiet, here's the plan. I'll share a story with all of you, and the first one who pisses their pants will have to take a hike in the woods and gather more wood. The group stopped chatting at that point and looked at their group leader in astonishment. Sarge normally only talked when someone pressured him. This time, he volunteered to speak and actually tell a story. This was way out of character for him. The boys were anxious to hear what he had to say. Sarge continued, Now that I have your undivided attention, this was a story shared with me when I was stationed in Germany. This happened in a heavily wooded area, a lot like where we are now. A small village on the outskirts of the forest had been experiencing bizarre events. The animals belonging to the townspeople had started dying off, one by one. In the morning, their owners would discover their animals outside with huge holes dug in their chest. The people thought it was the work of a bear or a pack of wild dogs, and resolved to find the culprit or culprits responsible by setting traps on the outskirts of their property and holding nightly vigils until the beast was caught or killed. One night, a man by the name of Thomas was closing a store for the night. It was very late, and he was anxious to get home to his family. He shut off the lights and then closed the door to his store. As he turned around to go to his car, he saw a dark shape in the distance. He stood still trying to make out what it was. As it got closer, Thomas turned to go. It was the last move he ever made. The next day, they found him with ten deep holes in his chest. This made the townspeople very worried and terrified. They were scared more people might get killed. The scenario for the killings was the same, but the killings escalated to humans. One night, two brave brothers, John and Jacob, went out to track down 
who or what was on this killing spree and destroy this perpetrator once and for all. They each took huge knives, rifles, and radios. They said bye to their father and kissed their fragile grandmother on the way out. A few hours into their self-appointed mission, the two boys decided to split up. One would trace the locations where the dead animals had been discovered, and the other would investigate where the murder of Thomas took place and search nearby streets for clues. They agreed to meet back in front of Thomas's store in three hours. If one brother came across some evidence or thought he was in danger of being attacked, they could use the radios to contact the other. So they set off, keeping a close eye on the shadows. Nothing seemed to happen at first. It was a calm night, and it seemed like they would eventually make it home safely. Suddenly, John heard a crackling in the bushes behind him. He tried to call out to his brother, but it was too late. The figure leaped out of the bushes and tackled him, gouging his chest with its massive claws. Luckily, Jacob was within an earshot and heard the commotion. He rushed to help his brother. He leaped through the air and cut off the creature's right hand with a machete. The beast screamed out in pain and disappeared in the night. Jacob took John to the hospital where the doctors treated his wounds and bandaged him up. The doctors called them heroes. John's wounds weren't serious, so he was treated and released. The brothers finally got home at six in the morning. Only their grandmother was, was up at that time, so they said good morning to her. Then she went back to bed. Neither of them noticed their father ripped to shreds on the kitchen floor or the fact that their grandmother's right hand was missing. The rest of the campers howled and shouted at the woods near the campsite after the story that Sarge shared. Mike noticed that Jason had spilled something all over his pants and exclaimed to everyone, Hey, Jason pissed his pants because of the story. <laughs> he got, you gotta go fetch wood. Jason looked at his pants and said, No, no, that's not what it is. I spilled water all over myself, you moron. The group erupted in laughter, and even the Sarge got into the spirit of things and cracked a smile. Okay, okay, it's late, troops. Let's turn in and get up at sunrise for breakfast and a hike, Sarge commanded. Most of the campers chose to sleep in their tents, while the Sarge, Mike, and Jason decided to sleep under the stars. Around the campfire, of course. Right after retiring for the evening, various members of the group made goofy animal noises and, of course, the usual fart sounds boys make when they get together as a group. It was who could gross out the group most or scare someone into sleeplessness. It didn't take long, though, before the group drifted off to sleep. The Sarge, Mike, and Jason awoke at that time. In the middle of the night, the unpleasant smell of wet dog and rotten flesh filled the air. Sarge thought that it might be the damp leaves expelling a rotten odor or the smell of a dead animal blowing in the wind. He tried not to worry about it and didn't want to scare the other campers, but Mike and Jason were not only curious but also concerned. A few of the other campers woke up due to this horrible stench and started muttering to one another. The Sarge said, Oh, just go back to sleep and ignore it. It's just a damn animal. After that was said, everyone just slotted off to sleep and decided it was time to be quiet and just go to sleep. Had a big day ahead of them. The campsite fell silent and they slept through the rest of the night. 
When they awoke the next morning, the sun was peeking over the hillside and blanketed the land with warmth. A few of the campers came crawling out of their tents and noticed that Sarge was already stoking the fire and brewing coffee. He had been up for a while and walked the campsite and the woods surrounding them. "'Morning, Sarge,' Mike said as he emerged from his sleeping bag. He looked around and noticed a group of guys walking collectively from one spot to another and discussing something about their discovery. Mike looked at Sarge and said, "'What's their deal? What are they gibbering about?' The Sarge replied, without looking away from his fire, "'There are huge paw prints all over the place.' Mike looked around and said, "'What the? Did anyone see a dog here last night?' "'I thought I smelled one,' Thomas said. There were paw prints four feet away from where Thomas had laid his head that night. The prints were long and wide. They sunk deep into the ground. "'Whatever it was must have been huge and heavy. It couldn't have been a bear. Look at that track!' Everyone in the group was pretty freaked out by what they found. They all agreed that they did in fact smell something foul and felt as if they were being watched last night. The group wanted to clear their heads and gather their wits, so they decided to go exploring after breakfast. They were about 10 miles from town. Phone service was non-existent. There was a ranger tower with a radio and a landline if they needed help, or if there was an emergency. The tower was a five-mile hike uphill and near an abandoned caving area. As the group went exploring, the Sarge was playing, paying close attention to their surroundings and tracking whatever it was that was near their campsite. He'd been following the strange tracks from their area all the way to where they were walking. The group approached the closed-off caving area. It was no longer open to the public. There had been a few cave-ins in the past, and due to a minor earthquake a few years before, an unusually large sinkhole had opened up near the mountainside. How deep do you think that pit goes, Sarge? One of the campers asked. All eyes were on the Sarge at this point. He was crouched down near a natural trail and was analyzing some bizarre tracks that were all over their campsite. The Sarge found a strange clump of fur near one of the tracks. He paced back where he found it and stood abruptly to face the campers. All right, show's over. We need to uh, start heading back now, head back to our site, Sarge said with a sense of urgency in his tone. The group stood befuddled. With an abrupt announcement, Thomas spoke up. Sarge, what the heck are you talking about? Why are you acting so weird right now? Sarge responded with a sense of urgency in his voice. Enough chit-chat, gang. We move now. It was at that moment that the entire group lined up behind Sarge and proceeded to follow him. On the way back to the campsite, they were moving faster than when their journey had begun. Hey, Thomas, what if Bigfoot is hanging around your tent when we get back? One of the friends called out to him. Before Thomas could respond, the sergeant held up his arm spun around with his finger over his mouth and whispered for everyone to crouch down. Everyone behind the sergeant turned their attention forward and locked their gaze on what Sarge was watching. What the hell, man? What the freak is that? Thomas whispered. The sergeant raised his hand and made a fat fist to instruct the campers to lower their voices and wait for his orders to be given. Within a few seconds, everyone in the group could see what had Sarge so worried? 
standing in the middle of a clearing near the hiking trail was a hairless animal that stood over six feet tall. It was hunched over and on its hind legs. It looked directly at the group, slowly walked to the side of the trail, let out an ungodly howl, and the creature darted into the woods and left everyone frozen in fear. A rotting wet dog odor filled the air. It was the same terrible smell that permeated the campsite the night before. Everyone saw Sergeant Major like they had never seen him before. He was absolutely frozen with fear. All the campers were equally terrified. The grotesque-looking creature they saw shook the sergeant to his core. He stood in silence for what felt like several minutes, just staring at the wilderness where the beast vanished. When he finally regained his composure, he once again assumed his leadership role and instructed the campers to get moving quickly and not to look back. Sarge bellowed, "'Boys, we are leaving. Pack up everything quickly.' We are going to get back to the site and let's get out of here. None of the boys argued. They stayed close behind Sarge as he quickly moved through the trail. Upon arriving to the campgrounds, they found a majority of their supplies and equipment had been damaged or destroyed, and everything was tossed all around the site. What? What What happened? Who did this? Thomas cried out. The group also noticed that a few of the tents had huge rips going down the sides as if someone took a sword to them. Why would someone do this? One of the boys asked. Sarge ignored the question altogether and instructed the boys at this most commanding voice, grab what you can and leave what's been destroyed. A few of the campers started to panic as they noticed that they were at least three of those same creatures they saw earlier standing in front of the areas around the hillside. They moved quickly to gather their belongings and piled into their vehicles. Without a second thought, they sped away, leaving a smoke screen of gravel and dirt behind them. Sergeant Major vowed on that day to never set foot in that park for the rest of his life. He no longer allowed the ROTC to camp in that area either. The events of that weekend would indeed go on to haunt these once happy campers and forever discourage them from partaking in a recreational pastime that they once so greatly enjoyed. What did they actually see? No one truly knows. They knew whatever it was, it wasn't alone. There were more of them. Were they leftovers from a previous age that never evolved? Were they man or were they beast? Should the group have reported their encounter? Or was it the right thing to keep their discovery a secret? What if other unsuspecting campers in the park encounter them and they aren't so lucky or as lucky as Sarge and his group? The scary story that Sarge told the group that was told to him while he was in Germany years ago didn't seem to be a legend anymore. For these ROTC campers, the story became a reality. Could it be true? That story was told to Sarge in Germany. What happened to these campers was in the United States. Could there be more of these ancient beasts around the world? What do you think? Be careful while you're in the woods. And happy camping. Unparalleled insider access. Get it all.
Introducing the Sirius XM Platinum VIP plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer details apply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. Bigfoot vandalizes a Winnebago and other questionable claims. A Pennsylvania man who accused Bigfoot of vandalizing his 1973 Winnebago in late 2014 is just one of a long history of people who have blamed the hairy humanoid for attacking personal pro property and dwellings. John Reed, a Bigfoot enthusiast, claims that during a camping trip, he and his girlfriend saw a tall, dark, hairy figure walk past their camper window at night. According to one of the news stories, Reed said that Bigfoot threw rocks at the mobile home's outside lights in order to escape discovery. This explanation doesn't make sense if the Bigfoot didn't want to be noticed. It presumably wouldn't have walked right past the Winnebago's window with two people inside, nor throw rocks to the camper. The creature could simply have avoided the campsite or kept walking into the darkness if it did not want to be detected, instead of standing and throwing rocks at an exterior light. Perhaps the strangest part of the story is that Reed, who founded a Bigfoot hunting group and claims to have seen it twice before, did not photograph the creature. As odd as this story seems, Reed is not the first to claim the fine traces and evidence of what they assume must have been a Bigfoot-type creature, though not clearly seeing or photographing it at the time. The logic goes like this. I don't know what else it might have been, so it must have been a Bigfoot. It is well known that wild animals attack vehicles such as cars and RVs, especially if they can smell food inside. And many animals, including bears and raccoons, can be very clever and persistent in trying to get into vehicles and other containers. Trash cans in national parks have specifically designed latching mechanisms to thwart feral intruders. Well, thank you for hanging in there. This was another episode of Paranormally Speaking, successfully executed. Have a great rest of the week and a terrific weekend. Thanks for hanging in there. And this episode came to you from Stowe, Vermont. That is where I've been this week. And doing my own Bigfoot searching and searching for Champ at Lake Champlain in Burlington. And I also ran into Bernie Sanders this week. So it was a fun-filled time. Good getaway with the family. But I still tie in some research with it from time to time. I will see you next week on another episode of Paranormally Speaking. Thank you and have a great weekend.
Fast and furious.